Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim walks us through the question, what must I do to get eternal life? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 19. Matthew 19. It has been a good summer, hasn't it? It's been a good summer. Uh, it, yeah, I, I love fall. I love the energy of fall. I love that um, I, it's, the, the moving to two services caused a little bit of stress and anxiety, and yet I've loved seeing how many of you have stepped up and said, hey, we're going to help serve. We're going to step into areas that we're uncomfortable doing. We've never done this before, but we're going to do it. Um, that, that's been incredible. And uh, and. And if I have any weakness, it's, uh, I don't tend to, I, actually, I, I have many weaknesses. I even say that differently. <laughs> but I've got one big weakness. It's I don't tend to, I, I tend to be like, okay, what's the next challenge? Let's go after it. And I can, I can fail to stop and say, uh, that was incredible. And uh, the baptism Sunday we had just a few weeks ago and the next step Sundays we had where, or the, the My Church, My Mission, where we had the, the that was incredible. It was really, I, I remember leaving after that first week and I, I checked in with Aaliyah and I was like, like how did it go? Because they spent a ton of time trying to organize that. And she's like, unbelievable. And it, that I, I, can, I can fail to stop and say thank you, and I know that that's a weakness in me, so thank you all. Um, uh, we're going to have a great fall. We're going to have a great next year, um, and we're, we're really excited, as, as Abby said. Uh, but I've, I'm excited about where we're going today. We're going to be in Matthew 19. We're continuing our year-long study on the life of Jesus as told by his disciple Matthew, the least, less, least likely disciple, uh, that tax collector, that uh, sinner of sinners, according to their culture, Matthew Uh, We're going to pick up in chapter 19. Um, Before we get there, I promised you when we launched this series back in November that we wouldn't skip any of the the more challenging, at least we wouldn't intentionally skip any of the more challenging stuff that's in Matthew. And so um, you you may have noticed that we're going to jump in uh, to the end of chapter uh, chapter 19, um, that we're skipping a section on divorce. Uh, We have covered this. So one of the things I hope you're seeing now is how often the Sermon on the Mount uh, kind of sets the stage for something that's going to happen in the life of Jesus later. They kind of go together. Uh, and so Jesus spoke about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and so we covered that way back in January or February. And we looked at that passage and this passage. So if that's a subject that's relevant to you or interesting to you, highly encourage uh, that audio should be on our, on our website, um, on whatever podcast app you use. Uh, and then the other thing is you will... Uh, You'll also notice that we bumped into Jesus mentioning hell a couple of times. And I know some of you are thinking, when are we going to talk about hell? That's always a good time. Um, and so we will get there. We'll get there. Uh, as my good friend uh, Ronen from Israel, he's Israeli, he'll often say, hold your camels, we'll get there. They don't have horses that often in Israel. So hold your camels, we'll get there uh, in a few weeks. Um, but, but we're going to pick up our story uh, now in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16, uh, we're going to meet a man, Jesus, it's a, it's a fascinating exchange. Jesus, there's a man uh, who Matthew simply refers to as a man and then later as a young man, um, but we know this guy from Mark and Luke's account of the same story, um, that he's not just a man, he's the man. Uh, this guy is, he's a, he's a rich young ruler, we're told, but if we take all those stories, 
Uh, he's got everything our world says is important, right? He's, he's rich. He's like Kardashian rich, probably. I don't know. Are they still rich? I don't know. Um, but he's rich. He's young. He's probably got great skin and abs and all that stuff. And he's a, he's a ruler. He's got power. Uh, he's rich. He's young. And he's a ruler. Um, and he has a question for Jesus. And then this whole fascinating exchange happens on the backside of the question. Matthew 19, we'll begin in verse 16. Uh, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one? Which ones? He re- inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. We'll stop the story there. Um, That's the story. First read, we've said this multiple times now, but there's like the first initial read of a passage, and it feels straightforward enough, right? It feels like we got a man We find out from the other accounts of the same man that he's rich, he's young, he's powerful, he's got all the things. Uh, He wants to know, how do I get eternal life? That's his question. How do I get eternal life? Jesus, in a kind of little bit of a roundabout way, says, essentially, all you have to do is sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's it. Do that. And then he leaves sad because he doesn't want to do that. And we read this and we think, well, uh, that must just have been his sin. Or his issue, because let's be honest, I know this is true for me, this is a tough one, right? Like this is, so this money thing must have just been this guy's sin. But uh, this but simple reading of the passage, it does feel like that's what's going on. Jesus says, if you want eternal life, sell everything, give it away, and then you'll get eternal life. Um, now, as you've come to hopefully expect, if you've been here with us for a little bit, there's way more going on in the story. And so what we're going to do for at least one more week, and maybe we'll give it a little break after this, but we're going to play one more, uh, for one more week, a game that we've been playing for the last few weeks, a game that I like to call, everyone's favorite game, Find the Elephant. Okay, if you're, if you're new with us, what is Find the Elephant? The rules are simple. Um, it is my, it's my belief, and I think, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's true, that most passages have an elephant in the room type problem in them. Something that if you're reading through the story and you actually are reading it for the first time or reading it slowly, you're going to stop and say, that's a problem. Um, we get so accustomed to reading these stories that we read them really fast or we assume some things and we miss the, the problem that is staring right at us. And so what we've said is, if we go slower, ask the questions, the appropriate questions, what we might discover is that the problem, that at, at the surface feels like a problem, actually becomes the solution or the answer to understanding what the text is trying to teach us. So uh, we just go looking for elephants. That's what we do. We're going to play another rousing game of find the elephant. Um, Let me put the passage on the screen once again. And I want to see if you can see any elephants in the story. Are there any problems in the story? Elephant in the room type problems. Uh, And then just look at it for a minute. And then we'll compare notes. See if you see any elephants and then I'll, I got a couple that I find. By the way, if you're at home, you can play at home, please. Right? Circle your elephants. <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. 
What elephants are in the passage? Okay, you've got yours. Let me, let me share a couple of the ones that I have. Um, first, the man asked Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. Jesus responds by keeping the commandments. His response is, which ones? Okay, so that's a good question because there are 613 laws in Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so he wants to know, which of the 613 do I have to keep? Jesus then helps us to see that he's narrowing down the list of 613 to the top 10 that we call the Ten Commandments. Um, and Jesus, essentially the, the, the laws that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai that Moses was to give to the people, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, he starts quoting from the Ten Commandments. And there you find what I see as an elephant. Because when Jesus starts quoting the commandments, he doesn't quote all of the commandments. In fact, he leaves out a couple of big commandments. So the man wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You would expect certain commandments to be said, but other commandments are said. So that's an elephant. That's a problem I see in this. Why would Jesus do this? Uh, now, um, Jesus quotes five of the ten. Here's the five he quotes. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't, get, don't lie. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And then he adds one from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so he adds that one from Leviticus. So that, that's a problem. you agree that's a kind of an elephant? Maybe not a huge elephant, but it's kind of an elephant. Uh, that's a problem in the passage. Uh, now, um, again, why does Jesus highlight five? And why these five? Now, let me uh, show you what Jesus is quoting from. Let me read quickly through Exodus 20. And, uh, and then let's try to figure out, let's compare the list. Let's compare what Jesus gives as his list to the Ten Commandments. See if you think that there might be some here that are maybe more important to include in your list, Jesus. The Lord spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm going to read it off my screen. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's commandment number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's two. Here's three. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, neither you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's commandment four. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that your Lord is giving you. Commandment five, you shall not murder. Six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. That's number eight. You shall not get, he's getting shorter, which is nice. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey. By the way, that reads very different in the King James very confusing to me when we would recite that in church growing up, just naming that. Uh, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's commandment number 10. Okay, now let's look at the list. Compare the list. You got Jesus' list and you got your 10 commandments that he's quoting from. Compare the list. Does Jesus include the first commandment in his list? There's a summary. Does he include the first commandment in his list? No. Does he include the second commandment in his list? Now, those are important commandments. Would you agree? 
God puts him first. Okay, uh, how about number three? No, how about number four? Five? Yes. Six? Yes. Seven? Yes. Eight? Yes. Nine? Ten? No. Okay. Do you see the elephant problem we have here? Jesus skips one through four and he skips ten. Is that random? Jesus is this arbitrary. What are you doing here? Now, if you step back and you look at the two lists, um, what many scholars have pointed out is that you could break the list down into two sets of commandments. The first four commandments really have to do with our relationship with who? God. Okay, so, so many have said, okay, you could take these first four and you could say that's kind of like it's like half its own half. And then you could take the next six and those really have to do with our relationship with each other. And so you've got four to God and you've got five to each other. And so maybe the reason that he skips the first four, maybe that's assumed, right? That's a theory that many have floated out there, is that this man is coming to Jesus. He calls him good teacher. I followed all the commandments. Maybe it's just assumed that he loves God and is doing all these. And so Jesus just skips those. Let's, let's just go with that theory for now, okay? Let's just go with that theory. Still leaves the question of why does he skip number 10? But even a bigger question I have is, uh, this whole list of four and six. Um, so you got four commandments and then you have six commandments. Can we get the commandments back up? Here's elephant number two. Okay, so the first elephant is why the commandments you choose, Jesus? Here's the second elephant I see in the passage. Why a list of four and six? It may not look to be an elephant to you, but if I find that to be an elephant right there in the Ten Commandments. Why does God in his top ten list break them down? Why does God give less commandments about how we are to worship him than he gives about how we are to, to like deal with each other? That feels weird. Why not five and five? Why not, why not, why wouldn't God add a commandment to like this half to make it even and say something like, you know, worship God in humility? Okay, so now we got five. And then take like two of these and either cut one, like look for the weak link here, or take two of those and kind of smash them together and make one new command. Like as a, someone who teaches for a living, I do this all the time, right? Like if the sermon's running too long, I got I to cut that point or I got to smash two points together and, and try to make sense of the two points and hopefully it still makes sense when I'm, but like I got to take two and you could, here's a, here's a proposal. Why does it, Okay, so let's add one down here, worship God in humility. And then we could take this one. You shall not steal or even covet what your neighbor has. Would that not work? So why not five and five? Why four and six? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, this is God. He doesn't have to do that. Like, he, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Of course, he can do whatever he wants to do. But, like, why would God doesn't need to play by those? That's what, maybe how you write your sermons, Tim, but God doesn't have to do that. Fair, Okay. Fair point, absolutely. Maybe God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Except it feels, if you read through the scriptures, God cares a lot about things being organized and ordered. A lot. Uh, we've, talked, we've talked about this at length, but the creation account. There are six days of creation with a seventh day of rest. For three days of creation, God separates. And then God fills what he separates on the next three days of creation. It's three and three. It's not Four and two, it's three and three. God cares a lot about this. Um, the book of, Lam book of Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations chapter, so there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 
Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, all the rest of them that I somewhat remember. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, like our A, B, C, D, right? So you've kind of like our alphabet, 26 letters. There's 22 in the Hebrew alphabet. The book of Lamentations, chapter one, has 22 verses. Verse one starts with Aleph. The word started lost in our English translations, but starts with Aleph. Second verse starts with Beit. Third verse starts with Gimel, Dalit, and on down the line. It's organized. Second chapter of, of uh, Lamentations, this, this beautiful, laments, gut-wrenching book. Second chapter, there are 22 verses. They go Aleph, Beit, Gimel, all down the third chapter of Lamentations, 66 verses. Now it's not one for each letter. It's Aleph, 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 Beit, Beit, Beit. Verses 1 through 3, Aleph. Verses 4 through 6, Beit. And on down the line. Chapter 4 of Lamentations, 22 verses, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, God loves this stuff. Like, if you, you start reading the scriptures and say, like, God chooses the most intelligent way to communicate his message to the world. Leaving the question, why four and six? Why not five and five? God, you're good at that. Why not five and five? That's an elephant I see in the text. Third elephant I see in the text. By the way, the Lamentations thing, very cool, I think. Uh, third elephant. Why? Uh, so even going with the theory that okay, maybe the first four are there about our relationship with God, so he leaves those out because it's assumed. Even going with that theory, why leave out number 10? More than that, number 10, this guy, is an odd commandment. It's different than the other commandments. Take a minute, look at the commandments, see if you can see what's different about this last commandment. The rabbis caught this right away. They said, this last one, that's a weird one. What do we do with that one? God, what are you trying to tell us by giving us that commandment? What's different about the last commandment? I'm calling this elephant three. Thou shalt not covet. See what's different about it? To covet, so definition maybe will help. To covet is to want something that you don't have. You can translate the word covet as lust. They're very similar. To want something that's not yours to want. How is the 10th commandment different than the other nine? There's an elephant right in the 10 commandments. How is it different? Let me ask it this way. Um, How do you know if I want something you have that I don't have? How do you know? Is it possible that I put on a poker face and I'm talking to you and you have no idea that I am coveting your Silverado? Which I am every time. (laughs) Is it possible that I can play the straight up poker face and the whole time I want something you have, I want that badly, I'm coveting that thing that you have, I don't have that thing, I'm coveting that thing the whole time, but but you have no idea that I'm coveting that thing. That's possible, isn't it? Is that possible with the others? No. See, all of the other, this is what the rabbis caught, every other commandment has to deal with our actions, the things that you can see and the things that I do. But the last commandment has to do with our attitudes, emotions, feelings. This is a different one. It's a different kind of commandment. Further, how can my wanting something be a sin? You have to ask that question, right? How is my wanting something, just wanting? If I kill to get something I want, you would say, that's a sin, that's bad, you can't do that. Um, Thou shalt not kill makes lots of sense. If I take something that I want that's not mine, you would say that's, that's a sin. Uh, but how can a 
thought be a sin? How can a thought be... And further, how can you command me to do something, uh, to obey this commandment that has to do with my thoughts? Can you actually command someone to think a certain way? Or punish someone if they don't think a certain way? Uh, Any good counselor is going to tell you, no, the answer to that is no. Every good counselor is going to say, your thoughts are your thoughts. Your emotions are your emotions. Your wants are your wants. It's what you do with your wants that becomes sinful or good. But your thoughts are your thoughts. So why would God put this in his list and not just put it in his list, make it the last point in his list? Those are my elephants, okay? We got other elephants in here, but those are my top three elephants I see in the passage. Uh, Number one, what do we do? Why does Jesus quote the commandments he quotes? Why four and six? And then lastly, what do we do with this last commandment about covening? What do we do with these elephants? Now, maybe you're thinking, just tell us. (laughs) I, I I get that instinct. Just, why ask all the questions? Just tell us what the passage means. In fact, uh, the consensus amongst most theologians, scholars, on the meaning of this, this text, like distill it down to what do we do with this, about three to five minutes, I could tell you everything, that this, like, the consensus. But that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> Plus, I, this is really important, especially if you're newer with us. My goal is never to give you answers. My goal is to give you the book. Right, there's a difference. My goal is not just to give you... Uh, to, I don't want us to see the Bible as an answer book because I don't think that's helpful. This book is, is helping us grow in wisdom for the actual life we live. We live in a different world. We have asked different questions. So how do we take the lessons we learn from how they wrestled with the book and how they wrestled with God and we apply it to our unique situation? That doesn't just come by quoting verses or saying, here's the answer to that problem. It comes from wrestling with the text. And so my goal is never just to give you the answers. My goal is to give you the book. And to do that, sometimes you got to take the, the long route. It's not, I think not only is it more intellectually honest to ask the questions, it's more faithful to, to the text. So with that, Hold your elephant. That's a weird thing to say to you. Hold your elephant. Hold your camels. Hold your elephants. Uh, we're going to come back to that. There's another thing in this passage we have to address. Another question we have to address. Um, if, this one, I think, if we don't understand, we kind of find our center by looking at the, the elephants. I think we'll find our center to the text. But there's a question, an assumption I think we carry into this text that if we don't straighten this out, we're going to misunderstand kind of all, the whole conversation. The assumption has to do with the question the man asks in the first place. So the man wants to know, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Is there one thing especially? Is there something I have to do so that I can have eternal life? Now we hear this, if you're like me at least, and our mind assumes we understand the question. It's kind of like um, if you have a question and you plug it into Google and Google auto-fills the algorithm. They assume they know what your question is. Uh, I, for the, I wanted to see how this would play out. I typed in, are the Lions, are the Detroit Lions, the, and it auto-filled to worst team ever. <laughs> that, was not, that was not my question, Google. I wanted to say a shoe-in. Are they the shoe-in for the Super Bowl this year? But uh, I didn't. The algorithm, often the algorithm's right and our assumptions are right, but every once in a while, I didn't even look at what the other ones are. Let's make sure there's nothing on here that's bad. Okay, we're good. Um, but but my, I think what can happen to us is we hear, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And our brains immediately plug in eternal life. We, don't, we mean heaven. 
We, eternal, it makes sense what we get here. Eternal means long, forever, eternally long, which is forever. Our life isn't eternally long. We're talking, this guy's asking, what must I do to go to heaven when I die? We read this passage and we assume that's the question. And then we hear Jesus say, oh, simple, follow the commandments. I'm like, wait, that, that doesn't do well with my just believing. But okay, I'll go with it. And then he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you can go to heaven when you die. That's how we read the passage. And then we think, oh no, Houston, we have a problem because I don't want to do that. Who does want to do that? Like, I don't want to sell everything I have. So then what we say is, okay, then this can't be meaning all people. This must, must be this guy's sin. He just must really love money. And so he's telling this guy, that's your solution. That's how, but, but then there's another voice in our head that's like, can I do that? Can I just say, I'm going to choose to trust Jesus on this passage. And other times I'm going to be like, well, that's just that guy's sin. Like, so when Jesus is like, love your enemy, is that all of ours to do? Or is that just some people's to do? Like, how do you, so then these voices, and one voice is like, just stop talking to the other voice, right? At some point, you have this like tension inside of you. It, Jesus seems to be clear. Sell everything you have. That's how you get eternal life. I want to suggest to you that maybe our understanding of when we say eternal life is maybe too narrow. But actually, if you keep reading, it does seem to be exactly what Jesus is saying. Um, verse 23, uh, if you keep reading, Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. By the way, um, do we have time? Yeah. Uh, you've probably seen the viral meme that's like the little tiny gate and then the camel's got to take all of his stuff off and get down on his knees and go under the gate and then the premise, the moral of the story. Anybody seen this? It's been floating around since the 1500s, some think the 9th century. So uh, it's been floating around for a while, this viral meme um, that, you know, you just got to be, it's a really cute picture. It's just totally, in a, it's, as, as your parents say, it's fake news. It's fake news. That's fake news. Uh, it's, there's no little gate. We haven't found that little gate. There's no little gate. That's not what, Jesus is actually most likely talking about the actual eye of a needle where you thread the string through the needle, right? He's actually probably referencing an actual tiny little hole in a needle. But it's because it's a cute picture and it, it makes for a great sermon illustration, like you got to get all the stuff off and get on your knees, it, it gets reshared again and again. Remember the old emails where you'd get like the group email and at the end of the email it'd say, if you don't share this, you don't love your mom and Jesus and America and puppies. And you're like, I love all those. I don't want to share it, but I got to share it. Otherwise, they'll think I don't love my mom or Jesus or America or puppies. Kind of, like, it kind of gets passed around. It's just not, it's not true. Uh, most likely, and if you keep reading, you'll see why this is probably the best read, is that what Jesus is saying is this is impossible. For a tiny little needle hole, for a camel to pass, that's impossible. No matter what the camel does, that's impossible. Uh, in fact, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Are, are possible. Anyway, so we, that was a total aside. So we have this language, though. The language of eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Then you have Jesus talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And then you have this language of what must I do to be saved? And so we assume Jesus, what Jesus is talking about here is, where do I go when I die? Because it feels like we use that language. I need, to, I need to ask you to do something that is maybe hard. It may be impossible to do, but with God, all things are possible. This is a hard thing. 
I need us to pretend as though the last 150 years of how we've interpreted this passage, evangelical Christianity, whatever you want to call it, of how we've interpreted these phrases. All the times you've heard phrases like, um, have you said the prayer so that you go to heaven when you die? Are you saved? All those things, all the... All those things. Well, you can come back to them when we're done, but just for a minute, I want to pretend as though you don't have all of that and we just have this passage. What do we do with this? It's possible to read our theology onto a passage and not get our theology by reading it out of a passage. And I think that happens here. I am not convinced that what Jesus is referencing here is where I go when I die. At least not, that's not all he's talking about here. See, when we think about heaven, we tend to think, or even eternal life, we tend to think that that starts after I die, and it's somewhere else. It's sometime else, and it's somewhere else. And then uh, the images for heaven are often uh, Honolulu blue, God's Alliance fan, um, and then it's uh, baby angels, and harps, and floaty, esoteric, uh, it's all kind of cloudy, like it's... it's that's our images we have of heaven. And a lot of people think, well, I don't want to go to heaven then because it seems boring. Like I've heard this, you've, you've felt this. Uh, but, and so we, we, but we hear this language and we assume that to be saved means somehow we get our ticket. We get, uh, that means I get to go there when I die. It doesn't matter for now, I get to, but I get to go there when I die. It's far more Greek Plato than it is Hebrew Jesus. Let me say that again. It's far, that understanding of heaven is far more Greek Plato than Hebrew Jesus. Uh, in his phenomenal work, uh, the, a book called Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright, a New Testament theologian, um, he calls his book Surprised by Hope because his premise is the actual biblical picture of heaven is way better than that. Um, he says this. He says, many Christians grow up assuming that whenever the New Testament speaks of heaven, it refers to the place to which the saved will go after death. But the language of heaven in the New Testament doesn't work that way. God's kingdom in the preaching of Jesus refers not to post-mortem destiny, not to our escape from this world into another one, but to God's sovereign rule coming on earth as it is in heaven. The roots of this misunderstanding go very deep, not least into the residual platonism, platonism, I don't, platonism? Is that what you would say? I'm going to go... Jared, though, he's smarter than me. Platonism. That has infected our whole swaths of Christian thinking and have misled people into supposing that Christians are meant to devalue this present world and our present bodies and regard them as shabby or shameful. That's his book. Uh, Let me say this as clearly as I can. For Jesus, eternal life wasn't just, it did include this, but it wasn't just eternally long. It was also the kind of life that is eternally deep. For many people, the reason the eternally long is so like, terrifying is because we have never said yes to the life that's eternally deep. For Jesus, both of these are included when he talks about eternal life. It's both, yes, it's eternally long. If God is good, you'll be with God. If, you, if, if you're a follower, yes. But it's also the eternally deep life. Further, that life to Jesus starts not when you die, but when you say yes to him. Once you say yes to him, you step into, at least in part, the next life that will go on forever, but also that goes deep. Let me, don't take my word for it. Uh, let me read you some lines of Jesus. John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's his reason for coming, he says. I want the deep life. Even more clearly, John 5. 
Uh, verse 24, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life. It's the same exact phrase he uses with the ruler, the rich young ruler. And will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God. Time is coming and, will, and has now come where the dead will hear the voice of God, the Son of God, and those who hear will live. In other words, again, Jesus' point it's, yes, it's eternally long, but it's also eternally deep. It's the kind of life you want to live. It's the kind of life with meaning, with purpose, with substance. It's not just, I'm going to suffer through this miserable, miserable life so I get a ticket someday. But it's the kind of life Jesus invites us into now that sees somehow in the hardest situations, God is growing something. God is doing something. Uh, and in the most beautiful situations, God is blessing that as well. All right, now take this detour. Now let's get back to the elephant game, and we'll wrap up. Uh, back to the elephant game. We got three elephants. Now we got, we got enough to like deal with it. Okay. Elephant game. What, why does Jesus quote the, the commandments he quotes? Why a list of four and six? And that tenth commandment about covenant, that's an odd one. What do we do with this commandment? Um, what if that last commandment is different on purpose? Okay, here's my... What if it's different on purpose? Um, would that explain why God would divide the list the way he does? And would it explain why the last one is about attitudes and not actions? Why it's, it's, it is different? And would it answer this man's exact question? Here's the three to five minute version I could have told you. Let's put the story together. This man from the outside has it all. He's got everything. He's rich. He's young. Powerful. He's got all the things that, that we in our world say, that's how you know you made it. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. More than that, he's a follower of God. We know this because he says to Jesus, he calls Jesus good teacher, and he's keeping all the commandments. On paper, he's got everything. His life from the exterior is shiny, but he's aware of something. Something that I suspect keeps him up at night because I've met people who are also aware of this thing and it keeps them up at night. He's aware of something. He has everything, but he's still not content. He still wants more. Life looks pretty on the outside. Inside, it's still hollow. And he wants to know, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? The kind of life that goes on forever, but the kind of life that actually means something. I got it all, how do I have that? How do I have that? Jesus responds, have you kept the commandments? I've kept all of them. He then lists five of the commandments. He tells them which section he's quoting from, but he leaves off a commandment because I think Jesus wants him to recognize that's the commandment. That's the one you're guilty of. That's the commandment you can't do. Thou shalt not covet. You shall not want your neighbor's life. You can't do that one. This is exactly the problem. He can't do this one. He can get everything else in his life perfect. Follow all the right rules. Believe all the right beliefs. But he can't do that one. He can't do that one. Just doing good stuff will not give you a good life. Jesus needs him to see this. So he leaves it off the list. All these I've Have you done that one? Jesus needs him to see this. In fact, uh, you can do all the right stuff and still miss the point. And the elephant in the Ten Commandments that Jesus is pointing us to, has been showing us that the whole time. The rabbis say, that last commandment, it is different. 
and it's supposed to be different. The reason, in fact, it's not four and six, but it's actually five and five is because that last commandment has more to do with those first four commandments. Yes, it includes how do we love our neighbors and do that, but it also includes how do we walk with God? Because just doing the right stuff does not, you can do all the right actions, but if your heart's not doing it right, like if your heart isn't doing it for the right reasons, you can still just be doing all kinds of good things and not have a good life. That last commandment, the rabbi said, is different. Here's the theory they came up with. Shocker, I think they're right. Here's their theory. The reason the last commandment is so different is the last commandment is not just a commandment. The last commandment, they said, is a promise. If you do the other nine commandments, God says, You shall not covet your neighbor's life, house, stuff. The last commandment, the rabbi said, is different because the last commandment is not just a commandment. It's a promise. If you do these other ones right, you won't want your neighbor's stuff. You won't want your neighbor's life because you will be perfectly content with the life that God has given you. How do you know if you did it right? Are you content? You can do all the right things, but if you aren't actually following God, the first four, then the last one, you may still find yourself coming up empty. And so Jesus looks at a young man, a young, rich, successful man, and he says, you can't do this one, can you? You don't have this one. Come follow me. I'll show you how. But in order to do that, you have to walk away from the life that's not satisfying you. And the guy walks away sad because he can't do that. He can't do that. And I would say that, the, that your initial reading of the passage, my initial reading, that this is just this guy's sin, that's actually correct. I think it's actually correct. Jesus meets a lot of rich people in the Bible, lots of rich people. Uh, and only a handful of me tells them they got to leave their stuff. Some of them have to. Others, he says, hey, I want you to, remember Zacchaeus? Take your stuff and rethink through your stuff. You have opportunity to bless people through your stuff. If your stuff isn't standing in the way of you and God, take your stuff and use it to, everyone's commanded to bless, each, to bless other people, but some people have to leave it all in order to bless. So I think at some level that's true. This guy, he's still coveting more. He still wants more. That leaves us, though, um, with the question of how. How do we do this? One last elephant, I'm sorry. One last elephant. That divides the room, I know. Everyone's like, some of you are like, yay, one more elephant. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? This is a Lions game on today. I know, I know. I'll make it quick. Um, one last elephant. Uh, Jesus says, uh, so the question was, I want, I want eternal life. Keep the commandments. I've kept all those. What do I still lack? Here's Jesus' response. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's an elephant, isn't it? Some of you caught that elephant on the first read. If you want to be perfect, What? Is that the bar, Jesus? We have to be perfect. We've got to get everything right. We've got to be perfect. Now, remember when I said that Jesus often is quoting back to the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about this. You've got to dust off the memory a little bit. Way back in January, February, we talked about this. The word perfect is a bad translation. Remember when Jesus talked about you've got to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a Greek translation of a Hebrew idea. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from the same book that includes Leviticus 19, that includes love your neighbor as yourself, where Jesus goes. 
Here's the quote. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Perfect is a bad translation. Holiness. That's the secret. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? You want to you be holy? You got to sell your stuff. You, you got too many, you, the secret, according to Jesus, to a deep life, to a meaningful life, you got to be different. You just want to be like everyone else, comparing yourself to everyone else. The secret is you can be different. God made you different. We're supposed to be different. In a world that does the comparison game all the time, we've got to own this one, people. We've got to own this one. We're supposed to be different. You're thinking, well, my brother's always better at sports. He's got way more heads of dead things on his wall than I have on my wall. Why can't I be like my brother? We get it. You're not your brother. Uh, my, you know, like my... Uh, my, my sister, she's, like, she's always smarter, and she's always like coming up ahead, and she gets, things just click to her quicker. Uh-huh, yep. Her body's always thinner than mine, and I work out really hard. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, your, your mother-in-law, like she's, she's always at the cleanest house, and when she comes over, she gives a passive-aggressive comment about how your house is not as clean as her house, and you're like, I got little kids. She's like, I had little kids too, and it's like, ah. We get it, we get it, we get it. You're not supposed to be them. What, God, what we want is for you to be content in the life God's given you. You're not your brother. You're not your sister. You're not your mother-in-law. Praise Jesus. She's a little OCD. We're, you're, like, you're you. We don't want you to want to be them. We want you to want to be you in your body, with your skills, with your gifts, holy, following God, trying your best to say, God, you've given me this. What do I do with it? Not how do I imitate so-and-so and what they're doing with their gifts, but how do I take my passions and my gifts and do something good in the world? The comparison game leaves us out of this. In fact, if you back up and look at all of the questions this whole series has been revolving around, who's the greatest? Who's coming first? Who do I need to forgive? All of them has been Jesus again and again trying to help his followers see that if you root your life in your success, your power, your money, you will again and again and again find yourself coming up empty. God made you, you. First time I fully got this here and started to push it from here down to here, it changes, changes everything. God made you, you. God doesn't make mistakes. God made you, you. And Jesus needs this man to see this. And anything that stands in the way of that, of you being the person God made you to be, whether it's your money, if it's your money that's standing in the way of it, Make less money. Sell your, if it's your stuff, sell it. If it's your job, that, your, your reputation, like quit. Whatever stands in the way, take all of the energy that you put towards maintaining those perfect images. Take all, I saw on ESPN this week, total tangent, saw on ESPN this week, Tom Brady, under the caption it said, old and ornery. Greatest quarterback of all time, if you're, if you're chasing success, at some point they'll turn on you and say, now he's old and ornery. At some point, if we just find ourselves, especially young people, if, oh, listen to me, if all that matters is how many likes you get on Insta, Instagram or whatever other platforms, if it's all that matters, at some point those people turn on you. Jesus sees that's not the deep life. You want a holy life. You want a good life. Root yourself in something deeper. Get rid of everything that stands in the way of it. God needs you to be you. Lord, 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you would set us free from the comparison game. Lord, for those of us who um, uh, we fundamentally just don't like something about ourselves, something that is beyond our ability to control, something that's beyond our ability to change, um, things like our appearance. Uh, Lord, it, it, for those in the space this morning who are feeling that, Lord, I pray that you would set us free. And then, Lord, for those of us who simply choose things because we're afraid of what it might look like to actually pursue the things you've called us to do, uh, Lord, would you give us the courage, the boldness um, to chase that? Uh, Lord, help us to do what this rich young ruler couldn't do and the reason he leaves sad, which is put you so far in front of us, Lord, that we are willing to get rid of anything else that would stand in the way of following you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Um, and we pray this, Lord, in your name. And everybody said, We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.